come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that make me. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sets. This is, of course, our comedy geek cast about the science and craft of stand-up comedy. I'm your host, Jeff McBride, and with me is the well-liked half of Let's Talk About Sets. Hi, I'm Harrison Tweed. Mm -hmm. This week's theme, we are revisiting the big topic of comedic storytelling with our guest, Jeff Zimmerman. Hi. That's Jeff. (laughs) Now, since we have two Jeffs, I'm going to go by Jeff... And to avoid confusion, we will refer to our guest as Harrison. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that will stop the confusion. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the formula that you teach. Yeah. It's a formula that is distilled and then distilled again. Yeah. Like like Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. Mm -hmm. And then I think you mentioned there's Vogler, right? Right. And his version. And then Dan Harmon and now yours. Right. Exactly. And so we're all and we're all just kind of looking up the chain at the last person. Mm -hmm. And like Mm -hmm. somebody posted one of these things on Reddit and these other people on Reddit were like, "Uh, actually, that's just distilled down from Dan Harmon's thing. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I put it in the first fucking paragraph. Right. 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 You know, so. Thanks, you Beard. said, here's a link to Dan Harmon's work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, we're, and what we're referencing here are, uh, uh, in particular, four articles that we picked out and are going to have in the show notes yeah. that our guest here wrote. And they're a wonderful read, by the way. Definitely, definitely Very spend useful, some time yeah. reading them. Um, so let's talk about it. Let's go through step by step. Yeah, okay. So look, if you... I'm a really visual person, and I can, which is a real challenge here on a pod. There's not a Sharpie big enough for this podcast, but I, <laughs> I did try. I'm holding, I'm holding one of these Magnum Sharpies that people tag, <laughs> tag subways with right now. But, you know, so imagine a story arc, right? It's a half circle arcing upwards, like the, like the bridge in St. Louis or the arch in St. Louis. And then divide that into three chunks, right? And those are your three acts. And I say that every story, dis, that every story told on stage distills down to five points, right? You need, go, get, return. And if you want to see the visual representation, we Mm -hmm. will have an image for you on the webpage devoted to this episode. Thank you. And then, so the you and the need are in your first act. So you have to quickly establish who you are, what it is you need or want. So as a comic, you would come out, you would tell some self-deprecating jokes about maybe how you're perceived or how you handle conflict or what is, what is it? What is your innate thing that you are always striving for or striving against? You have to establish that very quickly. And then, and it's, it's blurred, right? Because what are people, if not a, a loose collection of needs in the first place, but that's we, great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so there's what you wanted. And then there's, I'm going to put that in my dating profile. <laughs> Hi, I'm a loose collection of needs. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we all want to be seen, heard and understood. Right. But the way that we go about it is what makes us us, you mm-hmm. know? And so like the way you go about getting what it is that you think you want is who you are in the story. And that describes those stakes. Like not only what do you want, but what do you think it's going to do for you when you get it? But I always do this in my class with a couple people. I kind of write down like, okay, what did you want? to get my cousins to stop bothering me. We write that down on a, on a whiteboard. So that what? So your cousins stop bothering you, so what? 
So if your cousins aren't bothering you and you've stopped them, then you feel more confident in your day. Mm -hmm. So that, okay, so you feel more confident in your day. So that what? So if I'm more confident, uh, I get more respect. My dad stops telling me to man up and handle my business. Oh, so your dad stops telling you to man up and handle your business. What's that do for you? Well, then he respects me as, and it always boils down to some shit your dad did eventually. But, um, (laughs) but I mean, we do the, so that game until you either run out of stuff or everyone goes crazy. It's like a therapy exercise. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the why game, the why thing that children do. Oh yeah. Right. Why? Why? Yeah. Why? And you just eventually get to the heat death of the uni- universe, you know, and ah. like, because entropy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but you can relate to that stuff because we all ultimately want to be seen and respected by our, uh, our fathers or by our parents. Everybody has a dad, whether or not they know them and has issues around that. So I, just to be hacky about it, I think I put this in the article. Let's use a John Hughes movie, you know, archetype, Everyone wants to date like the the head of the cheerleading squad and take her to prom. Okay, well, but okay, so you want to do that, right? Everyone thinks she's the hottest girl in school, but why? Do you want to do that because you were friends as kids and now she's in this other echelon and you feel left behind? Do you want to do that because your dad is a total piece and you know, tells you you're not worth anything and you think that'll show him? Do you want to do that because you're actually gay and in the closet? And if you do some really straight shit, it'll throw everybody off. Like, that's what makes you, you yeah. when you're going for a goal that other people have. And if you can make that super clear, then you have a story that's relatable and totally your own. And vulnerable. Vulnerable, yeah. Right. And and where I think a lot of stand-ups flail a little is some... There's kind of two schools of stand-up, if you ask me. And I like them both, right? But the let's say the Mitch Hedberg school, Mitch Hedberg, Stephen Wright, other great Roddy Dangerfield, mm-hmm. other great comics, it's almost like a magic trick that says, hey, look over there, away from me. Isn't that thing over there real stupid? Let's laugh about it. Mm-hmm. So like when Hannibal Burris and Mitch Hedberg leave the stage, you don't feel that you know them any better as people than when they went on. You've had a great time. It's masterful comedy. But the stuff I really like to do myself is the stuff that says here's a time when i was uh vulnerable and weak and let's make fun of a stupider version of me now Mm. right and then connect Uh, on that level with the audience yeah yeah and i I, when storytellers go for vulnerable without laughs it just can be like come on (laughs) you know what i mean like one time gaster and i were at the moth and this this guy was telling a story about his child who had had multiple in heart surgeries as an infant and like all of this stuff. And he just elbowed me and he turned to me and goes, yo, is it wrong that I don't give a fuck if this dude's baby lives? It's <laughs> 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 just like, no, I, I get it. You know? Right. So like, you, you have an obligation to make this <laughs> relatable and entertaining. Yeah, you yeah, feel yeah. manipulated into having Anyway, so we're getting off track. So but there's it, you need, there's go get, you guys are going to get it. And then return is what's the insight that you gained? Mm-hmm. What did you learn? And there's this thing that a lot of people do in stand-up and storytelling that I fucking hate that I call the Wonder Years moment where they say, and in that moment, I realized, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just imagine Winnie Cooper was never going to see me. For yeah. you know? <laughs> That's hilarious. But you can hear them put their hands piously behind their sweater vest as they're on stage and be like, and in that moment, I realized. Yeah. So that's a huge cliche, but cliches are cliches because they're so effective that everybody uses the tool, right? Mm-hmm. And what they're saying is they're, they're waving a big flag that says, hey, guess what? I learned something over here. We're bringing the thing in for a landing. Yeah. You know, but that's the return. What did you, how has your life changed? What are you going to do differently? Why are you telling this story in a way that 
other than this is crazy, mm -hmm. you know? So a story you would tell your family and friends would be just like, you're not going to believe this fucking thing that happened to me on the dollar van on the way up here. Why would you tell an audience of people that don't know you? Well, presumably there was a change or something that would bring us all together as human beings. One of my favorite things that you wrote on the North Star, mm -hmm. which is... It's why are you here? Why are you doing this? What is it that you want... And what do you think it's going to do for you? Right. It was a, and it's it's like kind of that is what you're rowing your boat towards in the story the whole time, whether mm -hmm. or not you say it out loud. And in this story, Gaster never says out loud. Right. That he's doing this for his father's approval. I don't know. Maybe he's doing it. Maybe I made that shit up. I mean, I'm just interpreting it two years after the fact, but it's true enough. Right. But so you're always kind of rowing your boat towards that. So, you know, when you're editing, you know, every choice that you make has to support that north is a tug of the oars towards that north star. Yes. So if the host comes up and goes the headliner dropped out, stretch it out. You know, you can <laughs> yeah. pick in other stuff that <laughs> supports that north star or they come up and they go Amy Schumer dropped in, wrap it up. You can make decisions <laughs> that you just support the north star and you're out of there in 5 minutes instead of the 8 you thought you had. Mm. But and either way you've told a story about the same thing. It's the H it's the molecular structure, right? H2O is just one hydrogen and two oxygen and you either have a molecule or the ocean, but it's all the same shit. Anyway. And and you said this about the north star and I was my favorite thing in the article. I'm just going to read it to yeah. you, read it out loud. Uh it can be scary to be vulnerable and open like this. So few people do it, and a lot of performers use jokes as a kind of magic trick to distract you from their flaws. But here's the big secret. Everyone's lonely, everyone's scared, and we're all trying to figure it out. And when we see someone else admit to the same flaws we perceive in ourselves, we love them for it. Every time. It's the foundation of human connection, and it's pretty much the reason we exist. Thank you. I read that and mm. I was like, yeah, I uh, yeah, that beautiful. to me when I'm telling a story, that's a, that's, that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. And usually I'm like, well, but I want you to laugh about it, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but it's that, it's that connection of like, okay, we're, we're all flawed. Um, let's gather around that for a second. Yeah. I mean, you see, you meet people, this is why like in business, there's storytelling for business is like this great big, this big thing for in the ad and PR business and storytelling for business right now, but most CEOs cannot do this because they cannot bring themselves to admit that they might ever have made a mistake or mm. been flawed. And a lot of dudes can't admit because they just got all that dude shit that they can't talk about a time they were weak or something. Yeah. But to me, the biggest strength is being able to stand there confidently and talk about your weaknesses. Because what you're saying is, I have so got it together that I can go ahead and give you this one, right? <laughs> like I can just yeah. go ahead and put this one out here. I'm still going to be fine. And and you meet these guys, you see these guys, especially these like supposedly like tough guys. And it's just like, you guys are wearing such a brittle suit of armor right now. Yeah. <laughs> if you do anything, it's like uh, ceramic. Yeah. Other, yeah. If you do anything other than walk in the direction you think you're supposed to, it's just going to shatter and we can all see it. And uh -huh. it's so, so pathetic in there. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry. So, uh, yeah. great. Well, let's, um, now that we have that structure yeah. of you need, go get return. Let's hear it on Gaster. Alamante. <laughs> On Gaster Alamante's bit. No, you're saying it Alamante, like alimentary, <laughs> like an alimentary canal, and it's Almonte. Um, Almonte. Almonte. Okay. Okay. All right. That's um, just your flaw. It's fine. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, and, um, and you're I a collection of them. I feel very vulnerable right now. <laughs> <laughs>
Let's get started with a bit. It's by Gaster Almonte, and it's called Brooklyn Batman. It was on Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening in 2017. Please give it up for Gaster Almonte, everybody. So I'm from East New York, you know, and, and when you grow up in East New York, you tend to have a bit of an edge to you. You know, um, as an example of that, uh, this past Thanksgiving, you know, my uncle came up to me. He's like, yo, Gaston, you know your father once stabbed somebody over Snapple? <laughs> <laughs> and then he just walked away. <laughs> like, you know, that's how you end conversations. There's no more details I want to that. Apparently people die with fruit punch all the time. <laughs> But it occurred to me that my father just never wanted me to know that side of him, you know? He was trying real hard to protect me, and he came up with this plan. He decided, you know what, I'm gonna buy a house with my sister, I'm gonna buy it next door to my other sister, you know, and we could shield him from the neighborhood. And it was smart, you know, I have my mom, my dad, my aunt upstairs, my aunt next door, and together they could kind of keep me from the hoodlums in the area, you know, protect me. But the problem was is that my cousins that lived upstairs and next door, they were the hoodlums in the area. <laughs> you know, I was, I was five years old. My cousin Minguito was 14, lived upstairs. My cousin Carlos was 15 next door. You know, and it was a challenge because they were cool as shit. <laughs> like, teenage drug dealers are amazing. <laughs> you got to understand, every day I'm going to school... These dudes, teenage drug dealers are real pro-truancy. They don't care about <laughs> schedules. <laughs> they don't do shit unless they want to, you know? So I'm seeing this every day, and I wanted to take part, but I couldn't because Carlos and Minguito got into this real shitty habit, you know, of scaring the fuck out of me <laughs> all the time. You know, they had this, like, pale white face mask with green hair. It looked like the Joker. And they used to put it on and hop up from behind walls and scream in my face. Wasn't cool. I don't appreciate you laughing at that, man. <laughs> they did this shit relentlessly. They would scream in my face. I'd run inside crying. My mom would hug me. She'd tell my dad. My dad would go outside. He'd scream at them to cut this shit. And they'd leave me alone for a couple weeks. We had a system. <laughs> and this went on for like a year, you know? And I was okay with that, but the problem is, you know, I was about to turn six, week of my birthday lands during Halloween week, you know, and my father believed two things. He said, one, I'm six years old, he thought that I should be able to handle these things on my own, and two, they were 15 to 16 years old at this point, they're still young enough where they could get away with wearing masks. So in the week where I should be thrilled, I'm getting older, I'm scared because my dad gave these two gangsters carte blanche to scare the fuck out of me <laughs> all goddamn week shit ain't cool despite that I woke up in a good mood my mom made pancakes crushing it in school too my 2 plus 2 game was crazy <laughs> nobody was seeing me I felt good I was dressed up I would walk out the apartment door got to the front door of the building you know and Miguito's opening the door for me cause he lived upstairs he just, you know got up early to cheer me up he said, happy birthday, little man. I said, yo, you're being strangely polite to leave, Nguito. <laughs> I don't know what brought about this, but keep it up. I like it. <laughs> and I walked out the door, cheery as shit. Then Carlos jumps out from the side, 
got the mask on, screams in my face. He's like, bold. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I run inside screaming. I hear the door close, and he laugh in the background. Happy birthday, motherfucker. <laughs> I get inside. My mom hugs me. My dad walks in from my side. He was waiting in the car. And he's like, what happened? And I'm like, Carlos and Miguito, they scared me. And he's like, yo, man up. Handle your business. Right? It sounded like solid advice, but that's what he said about everything. You know? I said, yo, pops, how I tie my shoe? Man up and handle your business. He was a gangster with one proverb, you know? And I'm like, yo, pops, I need your help here, man. He's like, what happened? I'm like, Carlos and Miguito, they scared me. How do they scare you, Gaston? They scared me with the mask. What kind of mask is it? It's a joker mask, Pops. You not paying attention to what's happening in these streets? Yeah. <laughs> I need your help out here, my G. It's real. <laughs> He's like, calm down, Gaston. Who's the joker scared of? I said, Batman, Pops. So he said, why don't you be Batman? I said, that's a good fucking idea. <laughs> <laughs> And I believe that shit in my heart. He gave my mom some cash. We went to City Line. For those of you non-New Yorkers, City Line is the border of Brooklyn and Queens. It's a nice shopping area now, but back then it was a Foot Locker and a bunch of 99 cent stores, you know? And we went out there to buy a costume, you know? I'm, I got kids. I spent $65 this year on my son's costume so he could be Captain America. It's fucking bullshit. <laughs> I told my wife I'm spending $65 He better be Captain America for graduation <laughs> New Year's Day I want to see this shit In rotation You know who Gastor is uh-huh. Right now yeah. um, And I, I think we're at the point where He's got to get something mm-hmm. We're clearly in the part where he The audience knows what he wants. Yes. It's funny you stopped right here because I was just about to write on a piece of paper, am I supposed to be interrupting and hold it up? Because... Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, look, this is the part in the story where, look, in, uh, in, in Batman, this is where Batman now finally goes to Tibet to start training with the ninjas. Uh-huh. You know, the, the, the parents are dead. He's already fallen into the cave. Now we're training with the ninjas in uh-huh. Batman. Or okay. In, when Gaster tells that joke at the top about how his dad stabbed somebody over Snapple, mm-hmm. that's like a, it's not exactly a throwaway. Like you could cut it off and you would still enjoy the story fine. And if he had to do this in five minutes, he wouldn't tell that story. Mm-hmm. But from that joke, you get who his dad is, what his neighborhood is like, and how his family works in lens. that neighborhood. So you got it all right there. In one joke. shot. Yeah. And so, and, and I think the difference between, like, that would work fine in a five-minute set at Stand Up New York or at New York Comedy Club or something, but in a story, by putting that there, we got it. We're like, we don't even know we're on board, but the ticket has been punched, you know? Uh-huh. And so when he's saying stuff like, uh, they, they would scare me, my cousins would scare me, then my dad would go yell at them and I'd be okay, and then it would start over again, we had a system. Mm-hmm. So in, a, in most stories, like, in the archetypal story is like once upon a time, there was a person, there was Jeff. Every day, Jeff got up, went to the same bagel shop for breakfast, got on the same train, went into the city for work. And then one day, blank. And, right. and then one day is what makes us have a story, right? Right. Here's life as it is. 
And then the story is about the thing that comes along that flips your apple cart over and you are filled with such a desire to do something that you have no choice but to obey that desire, right? In Star Wars, that's when Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru are burnt husks at home. Luke was fucking around with wanting to leave Tatooine, but he came back, stormtroopers killed his family. Mm -hmm. Now he's got to go, right? That's the like point of no return. So he's curious. His desire is being what's, filled. Oh, what? What's Star Wars? Uh, <laughs> I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> so with Gaster, like he says, you know, my dad would yell at my cousins. My cousins would scare me. I'd run inside screaming. He says we had a system. That's the way you say this is what life was. And then his dad changes it a little bit by saying, "You're getting older now. Man up and handle your business." Mm-hmm. I would say that "man up and handle your business" is the need. The way that I interpret this story, and there are other interpretations that are just as valid, is this is really about to me a boy that wants to be a man to impress his dad. Uh huh. And like I hear the dad issues that I myself have running all the way through this thing. That is his North Star. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, let me, I got to be the tough guy. I got to get tough. I got to get created. I got to man up and handle my business. So when his father says that, that's the clearest expression of the need in that story. And when his dad says, why don't you be Batman? And, you know, young Gaster goes, that's a good fucking idea, Dad. Yeah. That is the go. Like, right. the, the roller coaster is over the first hill now. Uh-huh. So now he's suiting up. He's, you know, if this is a James Bond movie, he's visiting Q. He's got his orders. We're getting the devices. He's yes. on the way, mm-hmm. you know? All, and also at play here is what makes this comedic. There's a comedic formula that you have. Um, you have an everyman who uh, tries his best and, and continues on no matter what, despite having none of the tools necessary to actually get what he wants and make things happen. Exactly. But, but does not stop. Right. Right. And it works anyway. Yes. You know, it doesn't work the way he thinks it would work, but it works. Right. Yeah. And so what you have here is like uh, the contrast between who Batman really is mm. in the, you know, <laughs> in that, in the fiction. Yeah. And then, and then this kid who's utterly ill-equipped. Yeah. <laughs> and he's going to put a costume on it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's that. And that's where the funny is within the story arc is like that. And also like the father saying that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if you really want to geek out about this and like, you know, in, you know, English class analyze this, I haven't talked to Gaster about it, but I doubt he did this on purpose. Mm-hmm. But there's a parallel between Batman being the scared little boy that wants to live up to his father who was, you know, shot by sometimes the Joker. Uh-huh. And Gaster being the scared little boy who should not have to live up to these adult standards of manhood. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I just pulled that up, went out of the side of my neck right here, but yeah. it doesn't not relate. So anyway, so that's, yeah, the go-get part of the story starts at why don't you be Batman? And now he's like, he's suiting up. He's beginning his road of trials here. Okay, cool. The other thing I think is really great here, and it becomes really uh, important later, is I'm going to buy a house mm-hmm. and to shield and protect. Right. And then again, you have this the, this irony of, but the cousins were the actual problem in yeah. the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And I, I just love some of his phrasing too. Is just mm-hmm. great. It's just that they had a shitty habit 
of scaring the fuck out of me. Yeah, yeah. that's great. <laughs> it's always funny when little kids talk like adults like that. It's you know? so funny. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The incongruity is is such a delight. <laughs> uh, and and he does a thing. I, I've done it many times where it's like you where you chastise the audience for laughing at something you mm-hmm. wanted them to laugh at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It hurts every time. I don't appreciate you laughing at that, man. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. Uh, all right, cool. Let me, let's pick that back up. And I believe that shit in my heart. He gave my mom some cash. We went to City Line. For those of you non-New Yorkers, City Line is the border of Brooklyn and Queens. It's a nice shopping area now, but back then it was a Foot Locker and a bunch of 99 cent stores. <laughs> You know, and we went out there to buy a costume. You know, I'm, I got kids. I spent sixty-five dollars this year on my son's costume, so he could be Captain America. It's fucking bullshit. <laughs> I told my wife I'm spending sixty-five dollars. He better be Captain America for graduation, <laughs> New Year's Day. I want to see this shit in rotation. So, but this is a great example of a joke that adds heat to the story, adds flavor and spice, but doesn't build it structurally in any way. Mm-hmm. And so where you see stand-ups get the whim-whams sometimes when they're telling stories at like a... Whim-whams? You like that one, uh, don't yeah, you? Yeah, 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 that's great. <laughs> and uh, they, they get a little shaky when, they, when you see them in a more like sweater vest-ass storytelling situation like the moth or whatever mm. uh-huh. because they're not getting the laughs they need. But this is what you can do when you want to inject laughs into a narrative you're telling, right? If you were, if you were again, if you were an editor and you cut this Captain America suit joke out of the, out of the story, nobody would notice that it was gone. Mm-hmm. But it makes the story. It makes the story so much better for being there. But it doesn't. The, it's like the condiment on a sandwich. Yeah, it's still a sandwich. Right. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that chicken banh mi I had was made better by your sauce. Yeah, you know? right. And, and I w- had I eaten the banh mi without your sauce, I would have just thought I had a good banh mi. But now <clears throat> they all need your sauce. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll be selling that after the show. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Buy come the on sauce down to my merch table. Uh, okay, let's let's pick this back up. I told my wife I'm spending $65. He better be Captain America for graduation. <laughs> New Year's Day. I want to see this shit in rotation. Great visual. Yeah. <laughs> this is not what I got, though. I got a plastic mask. It had a white rubber band that went around. Lips was white, so I look like albino Batman all year. <laughs> you know? But I pulled that shit off. I was proud. You know, next day I woke up, I walked outside, and they scared me, and I ain't gonna front, still ran inside crying. My mom grabbed me, she said, Gaston, hold up, baby. Stick to the plan. I said, you right, Ma. Y'all crushing this parenting thing, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't keep that up, man. And I went to my room, I put the mask on, and I started taking off my clothes, because I had the Batman underwear, you know? Had the full ensemble. But I turned them around because the logo was on the ass part. I want them to know I meant business. You, know? you got to see it coming. So I went to the front of the building, you know, and I opened the door. Carlos and Miguito was chatting with their boys. I did the, you know, the superhero pose and shit. Y'all Batman, and I ain't scared of you no more. Mm. And they just started laughing, which was fine because I could see Miguito's face. But Carlos still had the Joker mask on. And I don't know if you've seen the movies, when Joker laughs, some real shit's about to go down. Ah. <laughs> it occurred to me, I hadn't thought through this plan. 
But they just started high-fiving each other, talking mad shit for me. They're like, yo, my little cousin got balls. My little cousin's a G. My cousin ain't scared of nobody. Brooklyn got their own Batman now. Aww. That's cute. That felt great, man. I got cocky as shit. I was in the game now. I'm in. I went to school talking mad shit that day. Told all my classmates, hey, yo, listen, some shit go down, don't worry about it, I got you covered. I can't explain because I got to take off my clothes. <laughs> but trust me, it's under control. You know? Now, what I didn't realize is when you tell this plan to, to your cousins, every time they were bored, which apparently is all the time for teenage drug dealers, <laughs> they would come up with wild shit for me to solve. They are like, yo, yo, my pet Rottweiler got stuck in the abandoned building. Go get Brooklyn Batman. Uh. Yo, Miss Brown, she's hallucinating again. Get Brooklyn Batman. <laughs> yo, the competing drug dealers, they on our block, man. Get Brooklyn Batman. <laughs> oh, God. I ain't solved that last one. But I was entertaining enough for them to end it amicably. Point being is, I was effective. <laughs> You know, but this went on for a while. My rep was now starting to get out there. I was sitting in class. My last name's Almonte. It starts with an A, so I always had that front seat by the door. And the kids would walk by the door, and I would hear them. And one kid was like, yo, that's that kid that think he Batman? <laughs> and the other kid would jump in, no, that kid is Batman. <laughs> shit was real out there. It was adorable. But this is stressful. They don't tell you this shit. You got to be Batman all the fucking time. <laughs> he don't get no days off, like, ever. I got shit to do. I'm in school, B. <laughs> three plus three is next week. Like, this shit is hard, yeah. B. I'm okay. stressed. Fantastic. I told my dad, yo, pops, I can't be Batman no more, man. It's just too much work. I need something easy like you got with this parenting thing. <laughs> and he's like, listen, Gaston, you got over your fear. McGee, Don Carlos leaving you alone. You can put the mask away. It's not that serious. And that's what I did. I retired the mask. I stopped being Batman. And that should have been the end of it, right? But a superhero's life is never easy. So right there, that kind of, the phrase superhero's life is never e easy, mm -hmm. in my way of thinking, concludes the go-get part of the story. Right? Okay. So he's, you know, he's retired the mask. He's put it down. And like you hear along the way for his road of trials, it's not just like I became Batman problem solved. He's like, oh, my God, now that I'm Batman, I got to deal with the Joker scaring me. I got to look tough. I got to deal with the dogs. I got more deal problems. With, yeah, I got to mm -hmm. deal with the competing drug dealers. Like it's not as simple as I did this and then it worked. Yeah. Right. It's not like he just brought a coupon to the store and now everything's fine. It introduces more problems, more challenges along the way. Like when we go to throw the, you know, Lord of the Rings, he doesn't just waltz across the forest, chuck the ring into the in the lava, and skip home. Right? You got to fight your way to do it, mm -hmm. and that's sort of him doing it here. I wouldn't say with all of this, like with when you dissect a comedy story, like there's stuff you can apply to it retroactively, but like I don't think Gaster sat down and no. wrote all of these things out. It's just like, this is how we can dissect it after the fact. Mm -hmm. And when you're, you feel stuck on something, like I've got this one chunk that's working, how do I turn it into a full story? You can almost treat this formula like an algebra problem, solve for X, and then it'll become itself. All right, cool. And that should have been the end of it, right? But superhero's life is never easy. <laughs> I love that line. I was 15, my dad had bought a few more houses. You know, we, didn't, we moved away. But we decided to go back to visit my aunts. 
that lived upstairs. Carlos had gone to jail. Miguito had moved down south to avoid some problems. I can't get into that here. <laughs> but he decided to come up to visit, a little family occasion. Now I go up to Miguito, I was like, yo, Miguito, not for nothing, but why would you keep scaring the fuck out of me with this damn mask all the time? And he's like, yo, that wasn't even our idea. That was your dad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Excuse me? He said, yeah. He came up to us when, we, when he bought the house. And he was like, listen, I don't care if y'all are hustling in front of my house. Just make sure my son never want to hang out with you guys. Oh. <laughs> and they interpreted that as let's scare the fuck out of this little kid every day. <laughs> and I talked to my dad about it. I was like, yo, Pops, this is true. You just fucking scared me on purpose. He's like, yeah. But it worked, right? And I learned two things. I learned one, turns out it wasn't even a Joker mask. It was a Beetlejuice mask. <laughs> <laughs> Out of nowhere, I love it. I'm not scared of the Joker. I'm scared of Tim Burton movies. <laughs> you know, I found out recently it's the same dude playing both characters. I was Michael Keaton fighting Michael Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh wow, that's great. That's cultural reference. But the second thing I realized this whole time I was trying to be Batman. My dad is Batman. He didn't want any of the credit. He just wanted to get shit done. He wanted it solved. That shit was beautiful to me. You know, and now as an adult, you know, we, we work together a lot. We have a good relationship. About a month back, he came over to my house. Apparently, uh, one of my tenants, they had a break-in. Um, and this is the building that I live in. So he went over before I did. I was at work. He wanted to console my wife, told her about what we were going to do to, you know, fortify the home, make her feel comfortable. And I get home. And he's like, yo, Gastor, come over here for a second. And we walk into my daughter's room to get some privacy. And he's like, yo, when, when the robbers came in, why ain't you or your wife get the ratchet? I'm like, yo, Pop, I'm not a rapper. I don't know what the ratchet is, man. <laughs> and then he just casually walked over to the wall. He banged the window pane. And the machete came out. Then he went God. over to the heater, went, reached underneath, and he pulled out a gun. The ratchet, Gaston. I say, yo, Pop, it's my house. You got a gun in my house? And he's like, Gaston, I keep a gun in every house. <laughs> I'm like, but this is my daughter's room. And he's like, I know. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> this whole time I wanted to be Batman it turns out I'm Alfred <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and I felt real touched that Batman finally decided to reveal himself to me thank you oh my yeah. god oh, what a great story I love yeah. that twist yeah and I mean so it's so great I think Ira Glass says this too you want your story to have some kind of surprise in it like a big, like, yeah, whoa. Yeah, and, and so that was your dad. It's such a great it's so surprise. Great. And it's, it goes so great in the return mm -hmm. section, you know? And he did this thing, too, when he said, yo, why didn't you get the ratchet? 
whenever people use slang or like a situational specific term, you always got to find a way to explain it within the story mm-hmm. so that somebody else so that like my dad can get it too ideally in an enjoyable way that doesn't like i'm gonna teach you a thing now right he was like i'm not a rapper like it's such a great way to define that Mm -hmm. he's almost speaking on behalf of the audience yeah yeah. he's like i'm not well none of us are rappers so we don't all know what that means now that i want to talk a little bit about that surprise i i have i've I've been thinking about this a lot lately people love and remember really well any story where there's two stories and you don't know the other story that's happening until Mm near the end right like people love fight club because Mm -hmm. at the end of fight club you find out so much (laughs) Mm -hmm. right and then you go oh wait in a way though that is joke structure writ large Mm -hmm. because joke structure is first you have a first story second story and then you have the pivot where then you you find out oh this is what they were really saying the whole time Mm -hmm. like the sixth sense is another good example bruce willis needed help he was dead the whole time sorry to spoil that you're an idiot i don't know (laughs) so it's that i'm 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 fascinated with that and people that to me is like one of those things that just that surprise Mm -hmm. and reinterpretation of the entire story Mm. solidifies the story in people's minds it shocks them to like i'm not going to forget this story now right yeah totally yeah good we solved that (laughs) (laughs) but when you're actually creating a story like this like uh, you you can kind of take the surprise and work backwards, you know, or take the like, of course, like when, like probably when, when he was writing this story, he was like, Oh my God, I remember when I was a kid, it turned out, you know, the cousins would scare me. And then, Whoa, it turns out it was my dad. And then you kind of develop out for, you know, concentric rings out from that, almost like you're building a gobstopper mm-hmm. one flavor at a time. But, um, when, when I talk about the you need go get return, most of the stories that you tell your friends and family, you're at the bar, you're not going to believe this shit. That structurally is kind of a go get because your friends already know who you are and what drives you. Exactly. Yeah. So like when you see George Costanza at a job interview, you're already laughing because right. you're like, you know, he's selfish, you know, he's going to lie and he's somehow incompetently going to get that job. Let's talk about that. The difference between storytelling Mm -hmm. um, with people who already with your friends and family Mm -hmm. and and a story that's ready for an audience. Yeah. Um, I mean, the stories you tell your friends and family are a a great place to start. Mm -hmm. But your friends and family know you. They know who you are. They're going to interpret stuff favorably or at least predictably. You know, like, I mean, if your mom is a, a mom that never gives you a chance, then she ain't going to give you a chance in the story either. You <laughs> at least know that going in. Yeah. But or like if you're telling a story about something that could, I mean, let's say potentially be racially charged, but you're talking to your friends at your house, they're just going to be like, no, I know your heart and, you know, whatever. But when there's a whole audience that doesn't know who you are, you got to make it real clear yeah. what it is you are and are not saying. And you have to. It's not enough. And you said this in your article. Yeah. It's not enough to simply say, I'm a nervous person. You can't. You've got to show it. You have to show it. Right. Right. And you, and you have some really good tips on how to encourage showing, not telling. In particular, I liked uh, never use a verb other than said to carry dialogue. I think that one really inter- really says show, don't tell. Yeah. Because if you say, I, ex- I exclaimed or they screamed, <laughs> just, no, just do it. Whenever you use a word that other than said, I mean, in writing, if you when you're writing, and I took, I derived these, by the way, from Elmore Leonard's tips for writing. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I can't remember if he said it or I came up with it, but if you're like, if anything that happens, we're like, hey, this is a piece of writing going on here. 
takes you out of it. Like if you, if you say said, or, you know, because comedy is conversational, you can say he was like, or I did like, or whatever you can do that. But really what you should do is if you catch yourself wanting to say anything other than says or goes, right. Just do an act out and an act out for those of you. I don't know exactly who's listening, but if you're new to this an act out is just where you impersonate the person you're talking about. And uh, when Gaster goes, happy birthday, motherfucker, like pretending to be his cousin, scaring him. Mm-hmm. Or when his, cu- his dad goes, man up and handle your business. He is taking on the tone and attitude and posture right. of the person that's talking. Just become them. If he were to say, and then my dad in his gruff voice, blah, blah, it's, uh, it, you don't have to do that. You're, it's not a novel. Uh, <laughs> I, I started um we you might have heard us talk about the moth a little bit earlier and the moth is this really popular storytelling series that, that started here in new york where it's like the most prestigious open mic in the world and they don't <laughs> they don't like to talk about it that way but that is what it is so they, i mean there's a popular podcast you can download and they have an npr show but it started out as a series of story slams here in the East Village. And this is a very like 90s East Village thing, right? A story slam. But they would put out a theme like making peace or into the wild or whatever on their website. And you show up and you put your name into a tote bag because it's an NPR thing. And they draw out 10 names and you have five minutes to tell a story on that theme. And then judges hold up cards and and rank it like figure skating oh, like 9.2 wow. or 7.1 he did not land that story yeah <laughs> exactly exactly and and it's not like excuse me it may be qualified people but it may just be whatever idiot had 10 bucks and wanted to be inside for a couple hours yeah so you know but that's how i started getting on stage and you hear a lot of people who and i came at it from essay writing and my stuff used to say exclaimed or in his gruff voice all that shit i've heard people do it and it just makes you just be like yeah you know pull it in joyce right, you pull right. it in james joyce like, like just, suddenly all yeah. hell broke loose those exactly. are the examples you gave yeah 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 suddenly yeah go ahead oh sorry yeah. um i i believe it was uh seaton smith gave mm-hmm. one of our guests advice and they'd pass it on to us um yeah. Which is don't say anything on stage you wouldn't say in real life. Yeah. And I think that is what that is doing. It's changing you into this guy that's trying to sound more eloquent or right. sign trying to sound more writerly. Right. Or right. just just trying to tell a story the way they've read stories. Yeah. 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 And it's it it is look, don't be ashamed of yourself for doing be a, when you catch yourself doing it because it's, it's a rookie move just be aware that uh be just ashamed enough of yourself that you stop doing it <laughs> but don't hate yourself for having done it. everybody starts somewhere but some people it's almost like you can see the teleprompter sliding across their skull you absolutely know? and that's a good way to show that you don't know your story you're remembering every sentence you know uh-huh. yes and so and, and you don't do that when you're telling a story right. to a friend, right. you're communicating them, you're visualizing it in your head, uh-huh. you're reliving it for them. Uh-huh. I, ideally, I mean, it's a, you'd be pretty robotic if you yeah. were like, I wrote this out to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And also, so we're going to, we'll, we'll slip into this later, but you, you guys are going to play the story that I do about shooting kangaroos in the outback. And that, <laughs> Imagine that story with no act outs. <laughs> it sucks, right? <laughs> Come on. Let's talk about sex. Jeff's doing a half hour at QED in Astoria. That's on May 24th at 7.30 p.m. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Actually, my friend Gaster Almonte will be doing a half hour the same evening. 
Great. Oh, and he's actually the star of this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really yeah. weird. Yeah. Like I came here to talk about my stuff. But <laughs> I'm hoping to record another album in the fall. And that, oh, great. that'll be a way to kind of organize the stuff you know, hopefully none of which is on my former album. Definitely check out Jeff's album. And I am not lying. It is, uh, I really like how it coheres. Oh, thanks. I, I really enjoy the, the arc that you mm-hmm. have, the way you stitch each story together to show who you are and mm-hmm. how you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course that's available wherever you hear digital music and also on hot pink vinyl. Yeah. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Discord that's records. Yeah. <laughs> Could you, I nothing more hipster. <laughs> uh, you gotta, it. you gotta look, you gotta steer into it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, read Jeff's articles. Yeah. We will have those in the show notes. They're great. We loved reading them. Thank you. And then follow our guest. That's on Instagram. It's Jeff.Simmerman. Mm-hmm. And then Twitter is just Jeff Simmerman. Facebook, Jeff Simmerman. And, of course, his website is JeffSimmerman.com. Yep. And that's S-I-M-M-E-R-M-O-N. People always miss the O. So. And links to that will be in the show notes. And then, of course, our plugs, as always, come to one of our Thursday or Friday shows at BrickSpot Comedy at B-Spot Organic. In- yes, they're both a nine. Yep, yeah, yep. Gr- yeah, I'm going to say they're great shows, too. I saw uh, Joe Zimmerman at the... Which, by the way, we get announced as one another sometimes. I know. <laughs> I, know. I, I almost started the... I almost, like a dick, start, I was, like, was going to say, and welcome, Jeff, Jeff Zimmerman. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I saw him at one of your shows... I guess it was maybe a month ago. Uh-huh. And I was, that's a great show. I had no idea. That's what's great about New York is you're like, oh, here's a vegan Mexican place. I mean, it just happens to be a hot comedy show by the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's pretty fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's a lot of fun. We have shows there right now. They're just on um, Thursdays at 9 and Fridays at 9. We have, we have some other shows mm-hmm. that happen there, too. You can go to BrickSpotComedy.com to find out more. And also, I'm excited to say I am going on tour You'll, you can yeah. go to jeffmcbride.com forward slash shows, and you can see where I'm going to be starting April 12th, going through the 27th, maybe extended a little bit longer, too. I'll You're be, doing that with Tony Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, we're go, going along with to- the Tony Brooklyn. Tony Brooklyn, baby. <laughs> <laughs> He's so funny. He's going to be headlining. I'll be opening for him. And then uh, if you want to support the show, oh, did you have anything to plug? Oh, I just wanted to plug two things. Uh, Gaster Almonte's uh, uh, debut album, Immigrant Made, it's, it's already out now. It's number one on Google Play and Amazon. It's number two on iTunes. Again, star of this show. Star of the show. <laughs> His special is out on April 12th through Amazon, so you can buy that then. Also, uh, I just wanted to plug something. Uh, our first uh, guest ever, Drew Morgan, um, who's with the well-read comedy, uh, team, team, crew, troop. Um, Gaggle. they are releasing their debut album, uh, well-read live from Lexington that comes out April 19th. And, uh, you can check that out. They are super funny. Go listen to his episode about openers at some point. He's, he's super funny and see him on the road too. We're very proud of him. Awesome. And then lastly, for plugs, just, of course, if you love the show, and we hope you do, if you're getting something out of it, please feel free to give back and support us oh, yeah. financially. We will definitely We've been getting it. great Venmos. Yeah, we've been, been thank you for the Venmos. And I'm cutting my hours as a dog walker, mm-hmm. a pro bono dog walker, uh, just so I can uh, spend more time doing stand-up and get more recordings, so I'm cutting some hours. So uh, all those really help right now, so I really appreciate those. <laughs> yep. Uh, 
Yeah. All right. Yep. I love and you guys. You can you can send that to Harrison if you want to waste your money. You can send yeah, yeah. Harrison. Uh, what's your what's your handle? On- Harrison hyphen heroin. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Harrison hyphen tweet. And uh, yeah, that's on Venmo or just Jeff hyphen McBride. That's on Venmo. Or, of course, you can always become one of our we, we have some monthly Donors, thank you so much. Oh my <laughs> God, you Patreons are amazing. Go to patreon.com forward slash let's talk about sets, or you can just send a one time payment to PayPal. You can do that too. That's Jeff at let's talk about sets.com. Uh, you can find out more stuff on uh, like the show notes. There's all kinds of cool stuff on the website. Just head over to let's talk about sets.com. <laughs> This next bit is from Jeff's album, and I am not lying. <laughs> it is called Roo Shooter. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm just horrible with guns. I am so bad with them. I don't use them. I don't really, whatever. I don't even like to draw pictures of them anymore. <laughs> Killing stuff is not fun for me. I know this because I used to work as the assistant for a kangaroo shooter in the Australian Outback. Yeah, she, somebody whispered, what, very quietly. <laughs> and that is the appropriate response. So I'm going to stop yeah. right there. Uh-huh. That is just so much. I love, it's like an explosion in the brain of the people listening. Okay, how there's, so? Because there's, they are, they're sitting there at the moth. Oh, no, that, well, that's not at the moment. Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is at recording. your album recording. Yeah. But there's like the immediately, no one is thinking about kangaroos. Uh-huh. <laughs> no one is thinking about Australia. Uh-huh. And in one sentence, people are taken out into the outback, which they uh-huh. probably have some imagery in their head. Right. They have the imagery of what a kangaroo is and shooting. Right. Like it's just so much at once. I love that kind of intro. Oh, thanks. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that works because I, I riffed. All of that. Oh, I, I really. Well, nice. I mean, I have been telling the story for a long time, but that whole like draw pictures of them that I just made up on the spot. Yeah. And I mean, what helps is that half of the audience was friends of mine, you know, for my album recording. And then um, also, uh, you establish some really great contrast immediately between that? I don't like guns. Mm-hmm. It's so and, then, and, yeah. then, and then the irony is I had a job sh- yeah. <laughs> shooting kangaroos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have subsequently rewritten the story. Let's, um, let's go back after we've played it. All right. Appropriate response. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, they're like deer are here, but times a million. And so they're at plague proportions. People hunt them. People eat them for food. We were hunting them for dog meat. And... We were on this truck that would drive around a one million acre station, like a ranch, in the middle of the night, because they're nocturnal. I was not allowed to hold a gun or a steering wheel. (laughs) I stood on the back of the truck with a spotlight and would sweep it like this, and when I would see a kangaroo, it would freeze, and the guy I worked with, his windshield was on special hinges, and he would hinge it down, and he would pick up a rifle from the passenger seat, yeah, I don't know why the rifle got to ride in the car, but <laughs> <laughs> and he would aim it and he would shoot the kangaroo right through the head. And then I would have to jump off the truck and go grab the kangaroo and drag it by its tail up to the truck like a golden retriever with thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd have to field dress it and busher it. And I'd have to take a machete and chop its paws off. And um, which I mean, yeah, but you didn't say that when I said shot in the head. So you're on board. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 
that moment right there, another one of my favorite moments okay. in the story. Yeah, yeah. Because again, it's so visual. It's so <laughs> visceral. And then and you're just ready. You're re- you're <laughs> clearly you pounded this story out of it. Yeah. It's such like a barbaric imagery you're about to pay for them <laughs> and you're prepared for it. And then once you get to it, you're like, I know what you're thinking, but you're already being weird by like, not <laughs> yeah. shooting animals in the head is just as weird. <laughs> yeah, like like what what I like it with hands but without a brain. That's you know, so like funny. I I think you tag it right after. I'm so, yeah. Oh, yeah, let's, yeah. So funny. That was maybe my favorite line of this. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but you didn't say that when I said shot in the head, so you're on board. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's fine without a head, but keep its hands. <laughs> I sucked at this job. I was profoundly terrible at it. I don't know why I thought that I was qualified for it. I just had read a lot of Hunter S. Thompson and listened to a lot of Slayer, and I thought, well, that's going <laughs> to probably pay off one day. We were two guys on this one-million-acre ranch in the middle of the night, both totally covered in blood and then a fine mist of dirt. I had two clean streaks coming out of my eyes because I just was constantly weeping. I- <laughs> Can you pause that? <laughs> yeah. I love I love that line so much. It's so because it's such a specific visual, but it works so well. <laughs> Just like your, like your, it's like your Rambo, except for yeah, yeah, it's sad, like sad Rambo, sad warrior paint, it's, it's yeah. the inverse of war paint. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, and I've never like heard of that. Like like I've never heard that as like a description of anything. Mm-hmm. So it's it's fantastic. I love I love it. I don't even have any good commentary. It's just so good. Right, let's keep going. Totally covered in blood and then a fine mist of dirt. I had two clean streaks coming out of my eyes because I just was constantly weeping. And I I would miss with the machete and like hit a rock and all these sparks would come up. The guy I worked with, Craig, if you were to take five crocodile dundees and strap them together with barbed wire so that you have a Voltron made out of crocodile dundees, maybe wrap that in some bullet riddled leather. (laughs) <laughs> this guy has calluses behind his earlobes. Oh. Aussie slang is incredible. It's brutal when you're hearing it, but it's, it's great stuff. A fat guy they call two dudes or a salad dodger. <laughs> and uh, if you're just slacking off at work in general, you're standing around fucking the dog. <laughs> If you're bad at something, you're useless. You know, you're just a tied cunt. Fucking useless cunt, right? So a sample sentence might be, you just going to fucking stand around there fucking the dog all night, or you going to get on the fucking yeah, you tied cunt? <laughs> Which, like, you hear two or three hundred times in an evening, and it starts to damage your self-esteem. <laughs> and he was always sharpening a butcher knife. Like, whenever he wasn't driving, he was just standing there going, ks, 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 like that. A blood-covered man just sharpening a butcher knife oh. in the middle of the desert. Up here, you could see the whole Milky Way. It's gorgeous. Down here, murder, you know? <laughs> Great joke. I was like, I want to impress this guy. i got to get him on my side. How am I going to do this? We got a flat tire. I know how to change a tire. I got this. Here's my window. So I said, Craig, why don't you just go have a smoke or something? I'm going to jump off this truck and change this tire. And he's just like, okay, see how this plays out. And I'm jacking the truck up from underneath, and then I kind of roll, like, under it, and I'm looking around to just see what's going on, and I heard metal squealing, just like that. That's a bad sound when your face is under a truck. 
and it falls off the jack and just hits the dirt. And goes, and it, it comes down and just kisses my nose. And I'm just lying there, and I felt this cold liquid falling onto my face and neck and chest. And I thought, oh, my God, there's a coolant leak that I've caused. We're not going to be able to drive this thing. The sun comes up. It's like 110. It's going to quickly turn us into beef jerky, and we're going to just die out here. The good news, friends, is that it was not coolant at all. It was simply cold congealing blood from uh, several kangaroos' neck stumps. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And I did what I think anybody in my position would have done, and I emitted a series of high-pitched and girlish squeals. And I'm like running around in the dust. I don't even know why I was concerned about it because it was just landing on other blood. (laughs) Craig's just standing over here. Thought you knew how to change a time, eh? And I said, yeah, I do in America. (laughs) In an American driveway in in the daytime. (laughs) So just... Give me a minute, but I can take care of myself just fine. And he just goes, Mate, would you know about taking care of yourself? I could ride on my cock with a mop. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that was pretty good, you know. And and then he just dives under the truck and, like, changes the tire with one hand and probably rolls, like, a whole pack of cigarettes with the other one. (laughs) We would sleep all day in these aluminum sheds in the sun, so it's 110 outside, and then we were in just like a man-sized easy-bake oven trying to sleep. And I'd only brought one pair of jeans on the trip because Craig had just called me up and goes, pack light, you fucking light, meet me at the train station, let's go. And I was too scared to pack two pairs of jeans. So I was wearing the same pair every night, and they're so soaked with animal blood that they're like this wearable scab that oh, I just kind God, of put on. And crackle so and break right in. But they were so stiff that I could lean them against the wall in the corner. And I slept over here, and they would draw all the biting flies away from my eyes and mouth, and I could sleep like fairly undisturbed. And I felt really smart about that. And one day I woke up and I went outside to take a leak, and I came back in. I'm getting back in my bed, and I looked. My pants are gone. It's going to be a problem. And I'm sitting on my bed just being like, what's going on? And then I saw this black shape just go out from under my bed. And I looked under it, and it is the tail to a six-foot-long monitor lizard. Mm. They call them racehorse goanna. And they have these razor-sharp claws and razor-sharp teeth. And they just go around the outback eating whatever dead stuff they can find. They're terrifying creatures. They're not aggressive. They're like a Komodo dragon, okay? And they're not, like, coming after you, but they're so stupid that if you frighten them, they try to climb the nearest tall thing, and in a desert situation, the nearest tall thing is your body. Oh, my God. And so they'll just carve you up on the way up to the top of the Uh. tree, which is your face. Uh. And... And then they've never once used a Purell dispenser, so <laughs> you're going to go septic immediately, and you'll die in a few hours. Oh, Jesus. So I was like, i got to get my pants. I can't get close to this thing. 
and I start whipping books at it, like under my bed, and I hit it in the ribs, and it starts to run off with my pants in its mouth. And I was like, oh, fuck. I cannot show up to work tonight minus pants because I've allowed a lizard to steal them. <laughs> Gotta solve this. Think quickly, you know? So... I remember very specifically throwing Kurt Vonnegut's cat's cradle at this thing and hitting it in the head. I'd just been thinking about how awesome and fine with it I would be if the world was covered in Ice Nine. And it spits my jeans out and it runs off into the desert. And I picked him up and dragged him back in. And I was like, hey, you know what? I've got a little Jeff Handled It story to tell later. Score one for Jeff. This is going to turn around. I can feel it. <laughs> and I'm getting into bed and I'm lying back down. And then <laughs> the door to my room just boom, kicks in, and Craig's just standing there, silhouetted against the blazing sun, wearing only the filthiest pair of Ugg boots and a little black marble bag underwear that, that Aussies call budgie smugglers. <laughs> he just points at me, and I point at him, and I was like, dude, did you let that lizard steal your pants? Because I totally was able to rescue mine. I'm questioning your outback sensibilities right now. <laughs> and he goes, What? You knew? You knew about this thing? And you did nothing? And I said, knew what? And he said, come here! And he grabs me and drags me down to the kitchen. And we're in the camp kitchen. The lizard had gone in there, thrown our cooler on the floor, all our eggs and milk had spilled out and broken, and it had tap danced around in it and licked it all up, making a horrible, horrible French toast batter. Oh. <laughs> and he chased it away, and I could see its claw and tail marks going off into the dust, like from the batter into the dirt. And then he said, now next time a fucking goanna comes around here, you run it off the property, not just your little room. It's not just you and your fucking challenges you're facing, right? It's a collective unit. You think about the team? And I said, look, man, okay, the next time an enormous lizard tries to steal my pants, I'll observe the protocol you just laid down. But that shit was not in the manual. Do I sound like I'm supposed to know what to do when that happens? Just by the sound of my voice? <laughs> I'll make the shit out of a web page, okay? But I don't know how to do this. I was like, dude, I'm not like you. I don't go around killing kangaroos for work and, like, punching sharks in the face for fun or whatever it is you do on your day off. And he goes, oh, you Americans and your fucking sharks. So scared of sharks, aren't you? <laughs> so fearful of a fucking shark. And I said, yeah, you're supposed to be. He goes, no, you're not, because you know how you don't get eaten by a fucking shark? And I said, well, how? And he goes, you don't go in the fucking ocean. It's quite simple. And... He goes, yeah, they're not monsters like your bears. <laughs> and I said, excuse me? <laughs> well, I've seen a fair few nature programs, and I can tell you, bears can run, they can swim, they can climb. Only thing they can't do is fucking fly. <laughs> right? I reckon if they want to eat you, you're fucked. I've camped in bear country many, many times and been totally fine. And he goes, you camped around bears. And I said, yes. <laughs> we were camping outside of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho one time, 
and we were in the tent, and a grizzly came out of the forest, and it just went and went around and it sniffed the car, but we'd left the food in the car, and then it looked up at the cooler that we tied way up in the tree, and it got it was just like too hard. And <laughs> it got bored and went home, and it was fine. And he just goes, "Oh, I'd have been so bloody scared." <laughs> That's fucking great. Thank you for letting us. <laughs> no problem. Thanks. Yeah. Let's just get started with the the changes that you made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hard story to tell. It's a really hard story to tell in a comedy environment because I could do a half hour about it. I and mean, how long was that? Fifteen minutes? 10 Twelve. Minutes? Twelve. I could do a half hour on mm-hmm. the on the experience. But right. Because why were you in Australia? Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of what what has since emerged. But so I now start the story. Like I'll say, I used to work as a kangaroo shooter, and the room was like a what. <laughs> And I'll, you know, talk about it a little bit. It's great when there's Australians in the crowd because, like, oh, yeah. this is something Aussies don't do either. Uh-huh. Like, 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 they're dimly aware that the kangaroo makes its way to the store somehow, you know? And, uh, and so I now, they're like, what are you doing in Australia doing this? And it's, it's an aside, but I'll, you know, that website, hotornot.com? Yeah. Yeah. In 2003, I met a woman from Perth on there when I was living in Richmond, Virginia. No way. And yeah, it just escalated. And we got, we went from like IMs to phone calls to mixed CDs. And once <laughs> mixed the, CDs. Yeah, yes, the next dude, step. <laughs> dude, once the, I can make a mixed CD that'll cause Michelle Obama to consider an open marriage. Okay? <laughs> 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 So I sent her the mix CD and then, then it was on and I ended up selling my drums and my van and my vinyl and moving to Australia to meet this person in person. Holy shit. And then I had to do like all the illegal alien jobs, you know, I was like a dishwasher and a stonemason and, yeah. uh, eventually a kangaroo shooter. And I mean, this isn't, doesn't work for the story, but I also I pitched the story to write about it for vice magazine at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's like the reason that's like kind of the reason I did it. But the other reason I did it, and then I just go into this joke that was on the album, but my grandpa was a welder at NASA. My dad was an intelligence analyst, at the CIA. Oh yeah. And I currently edit tweets for a shampoo company. Yeah. To me, what makes this story work is if it's like, I'm trying to chase down some man shit that's in mm-hmm. my head that nobody cares about. And I've decided that this Roo shooter is my grandpa that I need to impress. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I would put that joke kind of at the top of the story as if to say, like, I have these issues that are driving me to do this. Mm-hmm. And everybody that hears it either has those issues or is having their life damaged by a man who has those issues. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. So so we can get on, you know, because very few people are going to relate to the career choice, but they will at least relate to the driving. Always, the emotion, the family dynamics. Right, right. The universals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's that's what I would put at the top in there somewhere. Okay. I have yet to get that story under 12 minutes, Mm -hmm. but I think I did it at the Moth in like eight one time. But there's, there's, I mean, there's just yeah. so much there. Yeah. It's so much. And there's... I don't want it to stop as a listener. Right. Oh, that's great. Right. To me, uh, yeah. this is just a riveting story. Uh-huh. Also, just partly just because, I mean, the imagery is so vivid. I can see it in my head. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't happen with a lot of stories. Right. And, uh, but I mean, it's so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see this guy. I can see this lizard. I can see. Yeah. The batter thing is so <laughs> funny. <laughs> Was that the only thing you changed? Let's see. What did I, what did I put in there? Um, cock with a mop. I didn't understand what he meant, but like, well, I you didn't could understand write in your cock ex- with a mop. 
have you imagined writing, writing on it? my cock with a mop? Yeah, yeah. And writing anything nothing. with a mop. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. a great piece of Aussie slang too. It's okay, like, did you get drunk last night? Ah, oh, mate, I was blind as a weld as dog. The dog looking at the little yeah torch. I forget. There's some stuff. So what else is in the middle there? And there's all this. There's also all this stuff that just I want to talk about because it's so insane or beautiful or weird, but it doesn't, doesn't work. support any of the 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 thrust. At one point, we like we had a drive when this is over. We got two and a half tons of dead kangaroos. We we kept them in this diesel powered meat locker, and we had to put them in the in a trailer and drive all the way through the outback overnight to get to the processing plant by dawn. Cause so the meat wouldn't spoil and the flies wouldn't find it. Yeah. So we're literally outrunning a cloud of flies for eight hours in the middle of the night. And we had all of this water and all these sausages we'd cooked up. And like, whenever you started getting tired, we'd like drink water, or eat a sausage and just like tried to always have to take a leak for eight hours. So you didn't fall asleep. And then I remember I dozed off, so he dozed off, and the truck went off the road. And I just woke up to him screaming, like, fuck, fuck, you fucking fell asleep. Eat a sausage, drink some water, have a piss, fucking do something. I was just like, freaking out. Oh my so we get to the edge of the city at dawn, and we're just like covered in like blood and stuff. And um, <laughs> he was like, you know, I saved a tape. I like to play special after a tough job. And uh, I reckon this one uh, warrants it. If you'll indulge me, and I was like, yeah, sure. And he sticks it in with no shit. We listened to Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap uh, while driving two and a half tons of kangaroo carcasses into cell. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, that, that didn't have anything to do with story or structure, but I just can't work that in. Come on. Let's talk about sex. Let's introduce Jeff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jeff's a stand up comic living in New York here. His album, and I Am Not Lying was released in the spring of 2017, and it debuted as number one on iTunes comedy charts. Also, been on The Moth many podcast. times. Yeah, it was yeah. on the podcast a couple of times. Mm-hmm. A version of this story was on The Moth podcast years ago. And so. This American Life yep. won multiple Moth story slams, got lots of writing out there, mm-hmm. and then your class, you teach classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. On uh, storytelling. Yeah, and yeah. I try to teach storytelling as stand-up or for stand-ups, storytelling in a stand-up environment. I mean, really, I'll take anybody that wants to take the class and is, you know, I mean, come on, trying, yeah. to pay, yeah. trying to pay my rent here. <laughs> but, but I make people do stand-up mics every week as a part of the process. Oh, that's great. Or like, just you just have to get on stage once a week and engage with the material we're talking about in class in front of strangers and then every class starts with what I call performance th- therapy, where we go a room and t- around the room and talk about how did it go? What did it feel like? And, and I mean, even experienced stand-ups will, like I said, get the whim-whams a little bit when they're telling a story and nobody's laughing. And we'll talk about that. And invariably, somebody else in the room either had the same experience or is like, oh, was maybe there. I was like, don't worry about it. You were doing fine. So we kind of help each other out. Or help come up with jokes to put in there, and that's how you become aware that you need a joke as you start feeling shaky. Let's talk about that a little bit. Inserting narrative into stand-up mm-hmm. is well, you look at any of the greats; mm-hmm. they're all doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Right, it, it, with some rare exceptions. Those one-liner savants. Could <laughs> even like Hedberg does have stories as one-liners. A guy came up to an airport to me in an airport. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. still, I mean, it's still an important. Important it's still way there, to, but it's not the same. I wouldn't say that's the same as yes. There's a story element to it, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's not this. But it's incorporating narrative. storytelling. You really want this to be true? I think it's okay. true. Right. I don't. Well, I'm just trying to say, <laughs> even the greats that you don't consider storytellers 
are using elements of storytelling oh, to okay. to mm-hmm. help elevate their yeah. material. Oh yeah. Well, it it goes two ways, and the fact is, if people are laughing. I, I mean, I, the, the fact is, if enough people are laughing and they're buying tickets, then it's comedy, right? And who, who cares? Yeah. Right? Whether you've got a, a, a series of uh, racist puppets or... Yeah, yeah, or just some really, really cute um, gangster rap covers you do on the ukulele. Like, as long as the people are getting what they wanted, it's I didn't comedy. catch that one. Which one was that? <laughs> the ukulele one. What do you mean? Oh, because I, I got Dunham as oh, the Oh, no, reference. that's just like everybody with bangs in Brooklyn gets <laughs> up and fucking... That comedy show sounds like it sucks. <laughs> I have heard in the past, and this is maybe a chip I've got on my shoulder, but and it may be my own, my own baggage that I just need to get over, but sometimes people are like, oh, you're a storyteller. We're going to put you over here in like this box with like not the real stand-ups. Yeah. And that gives me the fucking whoopsies because I'm just like, it's the same thing. Cause they'll turn around and be like 15 minutes later. They'll be like, Oh my God, did you see Bill Burr's special? He's such a great storyteller. I'm like, Oh really? <laughs> I thought, I thought he was a standup. Uh, <laughs> and real quick, I wanted to define yeah. stuff cause it's really important yeah. to people understand the terms. So a whoopsie is, and I want to get a whoopsie and a whim wham. Oh, those, I just, those, two- those are exactly <laughs> what you think they are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I like. You know what? I, that those two things I learned in Australia gives me the fucking whoopsies. And, uh, <laughs> it's it's always great when it's like a really grizzled old guy, behind. or like if something really upsets you, he fucking shits me to tears. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> gives me the shits. It's really yeah. Russian Australian yeah. accent. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? It's a B minus at best to Australians. Mm-hmm. Like they politely indulge it, but yeah. to Americans it works. You say something about yeah. this, by yeah. the way, in one of your articles. You talk about using dialect sparingly. Uh, yeah, and if you're going to use it do it well yeah 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 you gotta because like well also in one of my stories that you may play on this podcast like there's one where i get in an argument with a black lady on the subway and for years i've been going around like really doing the impersonation danger zone yeah exactly but this is like at a very particular time in our culture when uh, it was not cool, but weren't people weren't writing blog posts about how it wasn't cool. So <laughs> people weren't telling me out loud yet. And uh-huh. then one day the producer at the mall said, yeah, you want to really reel that one back in. And I believed her and I did it. And it, like, it just had to like pull it all the way back to where we now have a mental image of an African-American lady, but I am not doing any like, you know, Mrs. Butterworth shit that sucks. Which, by the way, yeah. sucks. Yeah. Because it's so fun to do accents and voices and silly. It's just yeah. silly. There's no yeah. hatred there. Yeah, I know. But, but you know what? You if, like, if, if somebody spent their whole life having that thrown at them in a mean way, like, you don't want to conjure that on stage. So let's just pull it back. You know? And I, so, I, I get it. I get what you're saying. I, I understand it. I'm not not empathetic. Yeah. But I also am just like, I would, I would like us to get back to the place where people understand and have a sense of humor about it. Like, like, uh, look, like, I get it, but come on. Uh, funny voices are funny, and they right. always will be. They always have been. Right. And to just bring all that baggage into a show and be like, and be like, and be like, uh, I can listen to everybody else and every every other accent, uh-huh. but this one that happens to be mine. Well, I'm gonna now. I hate the show. Yeah. Like, yeah look, like, man, I'm not. I'm not. 
attaching a value judgment to it. Those are just the weather patterns yep. that we have yep. to sail yep. in. Okay? Yeah, I get it. Just, oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? We got yeah. a headwind on that one, so just don't do it. And and so and I'm just bitching. That's yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, look, you're allowed to make fun of another group of white rednecks. You know, they just, <laughs> totally. they, yeah, yeah. Us, they just happen to be from another country. So, <laughs> but yeah. And so like, but I'm really glad that my, the, my friend told me to do that. Cause then I reel it back in. I'm like, okay, now I can confidently tell that story. And, you know, if I told that story in front of a large or the, the subway story, I could tell in front of a black audience and not feel like a dick about it. So great. That's more people that can enjoy it that I don't have to get in my head about. And right. right. You're, not, you're not sitting there thinking, oh, what are they thinking about this? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Then I could just cruise into the story. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing is your act outs. You got to be careful with them. And there are different weather patterns depending mm -hmm. on what kind of sailboat you're sailing, you know, but the Aussie one is fine. I've never performed in Australia and I would include a caveat to say this crushes in the U.S., you are welcome to critique my accent after the show. However, I got to do it, you yeah. know, and yeah. then, you know, yeah. they got to, they just generally have a better sense of humor about everything. So Aussies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Brits too. Yeah. And, um, they're also just more openly racist, but <laughs> <laughs> I think the two things go together. You know? Uh, so, so you were at, you had asked some question about dialect and then we're talking about, yeah, but, well, I was, I was talking about dialect, how uh -huh. you said not only use it sparingly, uh -huh. but also get it specific. Don't use just a generic Dialect. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess as a southerner, like I hate just hearing the like, oh, this is a dumb person. I'm going to use a, a southern you, voice. Too, yeah, yeah. It's like there's a difference between an Atlanta accent, a Virginia accent, and a Tennessee accent. Pick one and nail it hard, and people just like it better. Yeah, you know. I've heard this thing about the French that they can determine who, even if someone does a remarkable French accent to uh -huh. everyone else uh -huh. in the world, that French people maybe. It, might be part of a certain city or something like uh -huh. they're just like wired to know exactly who isn't French just uh -huh. by there's like some mm -hmm. thing that they've been like evolved to sound like. Yeah. And I feel that way about when Northerners do a Southern accent uh -huh. or like someone from like the West coast that just like, yeah. it's just like, I can hear you not knowing what this sounds like. Right. Well, also just thinking that it's entirely one region. When in uh, fact, right. yeah, like Memphis, it, Memphis and Nashville are on different planets, actually. I just remembered, I'm sorry, Jeff, you were saying narrative in stand-up. Yeah, narrative in stand-up. Like, I would say that Nate Bargatze, right, He's that, that special just leaves an absolute crater in your living room. It's, it's awesome. So good. But he's doing anecdotes, which I consider to be different than stories, in that there is not a desire to be fulfilled Right. There's just like, this is my redneck wedding I went to. This is a fight I got in with my wife. This is about the horse lying down. And they're great anecdotes and it's awesome, but it's not just, it's not joke, joke, but it's not a narrative arc either. And that's fine. It's totally that's fine because it works. distinction. Totally. So what you do when you want to make a story for the stage is you will take an anecdote, right? Like that you tell your friends and family, and that is probably your go get. And if you start to dissect out, who you were and what you wanted F load that up front so that when you tell a room full of strangers they understand this is you know jeff you you were joking around before we started recording about having some anger stuff you know and if you talk about you tell your like i have some anger issues joke then we know okay there's there's going to be a conflict he's going to handle it badly i'm on board you know and mm -hmm. if you put it there then we know it and and we got it and so 
uh, now I'm just addressing the, if people in the audience like want to start doing this or want to get better at it, take all your jokes and write them down on index cards and just lay them out in front of you. Almost like, uh, that memory game, you know, when you played when you were a kid, like yeah. match the fucking cherries or cupcakes or whatever, lay it all out and then draw a big arc, draw a story arc on a piece of paper and start to lay those jokes down and look at, okay, what does this say about me if I put it here versus if I put it over here about what I learned? And you'll start to be able to marry jokes with anecdotes and see some relationships so that if this says who I am and who I was going into this thing and this shows who I learned it, it could simply be a way of arranging a set. And you That's don't really great. have to write that much new material. But if you use this framework that they're going to put on the little website, it, it just is a way of locking it, locking it down. And so when I was going to record my album... Gaster came over actually and helped me lay out my out al- my whole album so that we knew we put these jokes here yeah and then this big story here so that we're kind of going on a ride together so it's not a one-man show but there's at least a sense of development and continuity from beginning to end and we just kind of sat down and moved the index cards around on my coffee table and then I like took a picture of it and I was like right that's going to be how I'm going to record the album it's how I'll work on it for the next three months so. how did you get to the point where you were like okay I think I'm uh, this is what I do. Well, when you say this, what is the this? Comedic storytelling in general. Oh, yeah. It's just, it like, the first thing, I guess, is like when I was in college, I had a radio show and people would listen to it just to hear me talk between songs. And, cool. um, and like, it was the, the jailhouse was pretty near the radio station and they would call collect from the payphone <laughs> and leave requests on the, on the, you know, you would say when you used to make collect calls, if yeah. you guys remember that, you, you, you'd have to record your name. And then the operator would say, will you accept a collect call from Jeff Zimmerman, you know, or something like mm-hmm. that. <laughs> so you would get requests like it would be like, this is the Rockingham County Jail. Will you accept a collect call from I want to hear some Slayer? Like, so they <laughs> do that. Awesome. And a couple of times somebody called in my show. And said, that was pretty funny, man. Like that. Really? Like, from yeah, from very, the jail. Yeah. And That's so, so cool. And then I would just like at parties be the guy that told the stories, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then at bars and then a friend of mine said, why don't you move to New York and like, just don't be the cool, the funniest guy at the dive bar. Like you can do this for real. Oh, cool. And she took me to a moth thing and it was like pulling a sword out of a stone. I was just like, I'm doing this. Uh-huh. And I started doing it. And for a couple of years, I really dis- saw myself as very distinct from standups and was a lot of storyteller- storytellers who consider themselves to be storytellers and not standups uh-huh. will be that. will be snooty about standups. It's like, ugh, I would never do that. Uh-huh. What do you mean entertain and ar- anyway? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you mean make them speak. What do you mean make ugh. them glad they got a babysitter? I'm here to talk about my feelings. No, uh-huh. fuck that. Anyway, uh-huh. so there are. But but stand-ups would come across as very needy when they got up because they, they, they – but the thing is, this is what I tell storytellers now is it's like it's amateurish stand-ups that you're responding to. Like you wouldn't like this person if you saw them at a club either where they come out and go, hey, how you doing? How are the drinks? What's going on? Eh. And like they do that crowd work and then – they get the shakes when they don't get enough laughs. So you have to learn how to build those laughs in or have the confidence that if you're going to go 40 seconds without a laugh, you're going to be dropping an A-bomb, you know, and you know it. So anyway, I, I just started lo- loving making the audience laugh. And then the moth, again, would rank with numbers like nine, you know, like figure skating. And I was like, I want to win these things. and I win them more. And I started going to, to stand up open mics. And if I had cool. two minutes, I would just talk until they gave me the light. 
And this is what I tell my students now too, is like, just go to a stand-up mic and tell your story until they tell you to go home. Because like if some guy from freaking Staten Island in a hockey jersey is can get up and talk about his problems with women for two minutes, everybody you have a right to be there. Like nobody <laughs> yeah. cares. Yeah. At least you're honestly engaged in an effort and you're not just, you know talking about your issues with women until you get the light, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So just do it. And so I just started doing that. And, and then I started wanting to do more and more. And they started getting booked on some standup shows and that made me better in a storytelling environment. And because like, I feel like again, the storytelling in storytelling as a culture, not as a genre, but as a culture distinguishes itself from standup by they they come across as being, they prize the authenticity but with that is a certain amateurishness on stage and saying, uh, you know, and, and not touching the microphone, but just leaning into it and stuff like that. And just by simply knowing how to be on stage, I feel like I got better and I got better at riffing and got more comfortable. And now I just like telling these stories in a stand-up setting. With stand-up, you have to read the energy of the room and be responsive to that. One would hope. One would hope, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. But with storytelling... I'm, a lot of I'm, people just get up and deploy. Right. And but that's okay because the nature of the if you if it's such an intimate and such a smaller scene that like if they came to that show, they came to be deployed to and it's fine. You know? Mm-hmm. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Right. They're, yeah. they're, they have that expectation. Yeah, it's just the expectation coming in. So what happens to stand-ups that then go to storytelling shows? The people that are good know how to do it. Right. Like uh they know how to adjust. Um you still have to read the room and just know within your, you need go get return, right? You have to know other things that could fit there or become aware of like, Oh, if they're not on board, they're probably not on board for like these three reasons. You have to have like, you know, Tony Stark's heads up display going in your head. And so you have to like, you choose a different (laughs) response based on what's going on in the room. Uh Like you got like, obviously like with that, when people are like, ew, gross with the, um, with the chopping the hands yeah, off. Yeah. Well, when they go, ew, gross, when I say shooting kangaroos, I'm just like, are you vegan? Like, mm-hmm. and if they're not vegan, I can be like, are you vegetarian? And if they're not vegetarian, I can be like, oh, you just think chickens don't have faces. Ah, like, like, that's great. <laughs> like, what do you, like, this is one of the things that, um, that roof shooter screamed at me one time and I use it in the story sometimes. Like, you just think the meat lies itself down on the bag of bun, don't you? Mm. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what do you think happens? Like, what do you think happens? Yeah. You know? And it's almost like a render farm where you have rendered out every possible iteration. And then if you're a good storyteller and you can tell when people are off, you can address that and bring them back in. Do you have a tip or something somebody said really made it click for you? With stand-up slash storytelling. Yeah. Sean Patton told me one time, years ago, and I've since come to know him through stand-up, but this is just much more. He's when great. I, oh, my God. He's a I know. beast. I know. He, hey, he's Godzilla. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. And uh, he said, he was like, if life on Earth is carbon-based, comedy is repetition-based. And just you just keep repeating it and keep repeating it and things will come out of it that you can use and it'll get tighter and get tighter. And and I tell that to people in class and I really think he's right. That just like the more times you keep running something, the better it's going to get. That makes so much sense because I asked him what his process was uh-huh. and he told me he walks up and down Manhattan and uh-huh. he just talks to himself 
he doesn't write anything down. Uh-huh. He just talks to himself and says things over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Well, I, I have my little theory here and I like, I saw him somewhere and I was talking to somebody and I drew it on a napkin and he was like, huh, that's interesting. I was like, yeah, you're a really great comedy storyteller. Do you use this at all? He goes, nah, not at all. He's like, it's probably running in the background somewhere. Yeah. Cause it is. Yeah. But, and, and so I would say that like all of these formulas and things are, are not so much prescriptive recipes as just like, while you're getting going, do this, and then you're going to get your own speed and do it your own way, and it'll be fine. Well, it's it's more like they're not, yeah, they're not proscriptive. Uh-huh. They are, it's retroactive. It's like, well, these are the ingredients, sort of like like the laws of physics. Like, like they just happen to be there, but you don't think about the laws of physics when you throw a ball. Right, right, right. Or, or But it's, it's kind of like if you're looking for something to make a bit work or you have a story that is not quite clicking, this is a treasure map and it'll kind of tell you where to dig. Yes, you know? yes, so. yes. And it's, it's really hard to start from like, all right, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't because that's not how the story happened to you. Right. You didn't. You didn't. St- you didn't enter into the scenario thinking, "Well, who am I?" Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> this next bit is called "Empathetic Screaming Match on NYC Subway," and it's from the Moth Grand Slam. It is what year was it? Uh maybe twenty sixteen, twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. All right, let's play it. All right, look, I'm getting on the subway. I got two bags of groceries. It's raining, the bottom of these paper bags are wet. I need these groceries very badly. I'm a little nervous. I'm nervous because I need these groceries bad, but also they're from Whole Foods, so like, how am I gonna pay my rent? And and I'm going through what I like to refer to as a surprise divorce, and I just need some grace and patience from the world right now. I am broken glass on the inside. And when I need grace and patience from the world, what I do when I know I'm not going to get it is I like to straddle a garbage can and take a pint of Ben and Jerry's and work the spoon down through the chocolate core of the Ben and Jerry's, <laughs> and you can pull the whole thing out huh. in a move that I call the sad King Arthur. Uh. <laughs> and then you just eat it all. And you don't really get any grace or patience or understanding, but you can go to sleep. (laughs) And I need that, too. (laughs) So the bags are straining, and I'm getting on the train, and it's crowded. And right as I'm reaching for the pole, this dude grabs my shoulder like I'm a door that has gotten stuck. And just goes, shoves me out of the way, and the bags rip. And all my groceries, including my surrogate feelings, are just pinballing. everybody's dirty feet down the subway car and I was just like oh lord not now you know so I'm leaning over to pick up my groceries I've got a messenger bag on and it's coming up behind me like this and I think it was touching a lady behind me a little bit because I just heard (laughs) and and I looked back and somebody I don't know whatever so I, I go to get my groceries again and again and I know it was her because somebody goes, I said. <laughs> and I turned and I looked. And there's a woman standing there holding a pole. And she's looking at me. And she's rolling her eyes. And I know what she's seeing because I know what I look like. All right? I'm 6'2". <laughs> it doesn't matter if I eat that Ben and Jerry's or not. I'm a fight heavyweight. I tried on a cardigan <laughs> one time and it looked real f- stupid. So now I'm going to go with heavy metal t-shirts. So... <laughs> 
I kind of look like the social media guy for the Hells Angels. And <laughs> she's just seeing this big oaf that doesn't care about anything but himself. And I just know I'm not going to get that patient. So I just went there in my head and decided I wasn't going to get it and said, oh, Oh, is my bag touching your arm like a tiny bit and like moderately inconveniencing you on the train right now? Is that why we're making these noises? And she answers my question by looking the subway ad in the eye, questioning my parenting and saying, some people weren't raised to respect anybody around them. They don't understand space or who's in it or who they're shoving or anything at all. And then right then, this little dude that saw the whole thing jumps up and goes, you need to shut the hell up, lady. You don't understand the challenges he's facing in his life right now. <laughs> all right, because you crying about a bag touching you on the arm. He got $1,400 worth of soup cans of Ben and Jerry's <laughs> rolling up and down the F frame. You need to step back, get some perspective, see your place in this world, and then shut up. Am I wrong? That's Tease amazing. me up. And I'm standing here just adrenaline like this. And on the inside, I was like, Oh, I would have phrased that so differently. But, but <laughs> on the outside, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's basically how it went down. And, and, and she goes, oh, oh, I see. Well, I happen to have several extra bags here. Would you like them? And, and so empathetic and understanding in such a hateful way. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's super. I'll take your stupid bags. Get them out and we're just ramming my groceries into the bag. Eye contact the whole time. Like this. She's like, take several extra. They're thin. I would hate for this to happen all over again. Yeah, you know, that's a great idea, lady. I appreciate that. And we're just standing there like... For several stops. Just hating each other with our breath, but on the inside. Thank you. You know, And then... And she just stands up and looks at me and goes, have a blessed day, baby, and leaves. Oh, my God. And the one person that understands me in this world I never saw again. And that's why I hate this city, but I can never leave it. Because there are so many beautiful, beautiful blessings to be found in this town if you scrape the patina of sheer rage <laughs> off of everybody. That's and just look bad. underneath. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that's great, man. <laughs> Sad King Arthur mm -hmm. is just, it's just the, the, <laughs> the contrast between mm -hmm. the nobility. Uh, <laughs> and the tragedy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you really like surrogate feelings. Surrogate feelings yeah. is so great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> quick little tiger with all this brunette on the floor. That's so good. Um, and then the, the the contrast just within the grander arc of the story it, between her the empathy that she is showing you with her mm -hmm. actions and the hate she has for you because mm -hmm. of the conflict. Yeah. That's just comedy gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the, the, the workings of this story. It didn't happen this way in real life. Like, oh, really? No. Like I had been, that thing had had that fight on the subway totally happened and it happened before I got divorced uh -huh. and I'd been doing it as a bit for mm -hmm. eight months. 
and it was going pretty good and and i'd been closing with it i did air quotes there because i was doing under attended bar shows only at that time (laughs) but it had gotten the 12 to 15 people that just needed to be indoors to laugh and and so i was doing that and then when I was talking to my friend, the moth producer on the phone about doing this particular show, she was like, I like that story, but like, where's it going? And then I had had the sad King Arthur joke kind of that I came up with because I really had been eating ice cream like that after getting surprise divorced. And that had been kind of working. And the um, social media guy for the Hells Angels, and just by lining that up, lining them up within this sort of arc formula, you need go get return I was talking about, it very quickly establishes a you and a need real fast and then that whole fight is this go and get what and so when we take so yeah just by and this is why earlier when i was talking about put your jokes on index cards and move them around and see the relationships you'll get some stuff like that like these the it will unlock stuff almost like in the way that like certain whole grains if you just eat them you won't really get the nutrients but if you boil Mm -hmm. them for five minutes like you're really getting somewhere yeah that's kind of the same same deal so boil those uh index cards yeah yeah yeah. boil them and chew them up you'll be able to access the fiber better (laughs) but um so hold on I, i wrote some things down uh also, that's the single greatest performing experience of my life there. That was at the Music Hall of Williamsburg, and it was sold out, and it felt like directing planes on an aircraft carrier the whole oh, time. Nice. Just like when the crowd went nuts like that, and mm-hmm. like, you need to shut up, lady. Like, whole, I've never felt anything like that before. It felt like, yeah. I felt like for the, I picked up Thor's hammer for the first time. <laughs> I, was like, I am worthy, and I got hit with a thunderbolt. <laughs> So that surrogate feelings, which made you guys laugh, Mm -hmm. like that's the best example that I can think of as taking something everybody could want, like what, like ice cream, right? But endowing it with this tremendous emotional need, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so it represents more than just yeah. It's not just like I just want Ben and Jerry's because it's the item of power in any fantasy. Right, yeah. like like yeah. any fantasy story. Right, but in, in, in this story, I've like described my emotional state. What do I really need? I need to be seen and heard and understood by somebody. Mm-hmm. But since I'm not, I'm just going to do this. So now when that ice cream rolls like in your head, you're kind of like, no, you know? Yeah. And then when I say surrogate feelings, you laugh because I, 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 I have established it as surrogate feelings. And then by calling them that, you laugh. Yeah. And then I get what it was I wanted in a totally unfamiliar way I didn't recognize, which is somebody... And no one abandons their persona. Right. Somebody gave me emotionally what I needed, but in the shittiest way possible. Which is something you talk about in in your articles, that to make it a good story, when you get Uh something then it should be not what you expected right? or it's not as great as you thought it would be. A superhero's life is never easy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's the line in his, you know? Like when I said, like, I'm broken glass on the inside, that's the you right there. Like from there, that was where it just established everything. And so the sad King Arthur, you know, works. It shows the broken glass on the inside. But that line, like if you had to like flag it, that for me would be that one. And then I, I'm glad that the... When I said, you know, coming home from Whole Foods, so how am I going to pay my rent? It's been a couple of years, and now I think we've reached peak Whole Foods joke. And yeah. so I would yeah. put that differently now, maybe not include it. But I was like, ah, at least I didn't say whole paycheck, you know. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> that, that and this story, like if I, if I am Leonard Skinner, this story is my free bird. 
like I love that. people yeah. ask for it. My the the minister at my church at home teaches Sunday school classes, adult Sunday school with this story sometimes. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, he donated to my vinyl campaign to have my record pressed. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Patina uh, of rage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, I came up, that I came up with on the spot. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, I could see, like, just watching the visual, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll include a link for mm-hmm. this. Seeing you perform this, mm-hmm. you can see you are so in the moment. Mm-hmm. You are 100% in flow. Mm-hmm. The an, the energy of the crowd is fueling you, uh-huh. um, and you're giving it right back to them. Uh-huh. It's, it's such a great example of how just visceral live performance can be. No, oh, thanks, man. Yeah. yeah. And I, I guess I would say, too, to people listening, like Robert Mueller is not listening to these stories. Like this is an emotional truth, mm-hmm. but it's not the way it actually happened. You know, so give yourself the freedom to rearrange your bits to tell a bigger truth than mm-hmm. the one that mm-hmm. you could support with like interviews and receipts. And, and we you know. talked about this yeah. in our previous episode on comedic storytelling that, that there's a bizarre relationship to the truth in mm-hmm. storytelling, mm-hmm. Um, let alone comedic storytelling. Yeah. Right. But nobody's fact checking you. Right. And so if something, if you had three characters and they all serve the same purpose, now they're one character. Right. If you, uh, if it, if it, if it didn't happen quite in this chronological order, but it's so much funnier and so much more impactful to, Mm -hmm. to rearrange it a little bit, do it. Mm -hmm. It's fine. As long as you don't abandon the essence of the story. Right. Right. Also, I feel like it should be known that if you're storytelling, you're also te- like if you if you're telling it as truthfully as you believe it to be, you're also doing it with an in- enormous bias, which is your perspective. So yeah. don't mm-hmm. just you're already kind of lying right. anyway, right. even as mm-hmm. honest as you think you're being with yourself. So yeah. don't be afraid and to part lie of a little the more fun of hearing a good story is the embellishment that the storyteller provides. Mm -hmm. If you're not embellishing anything a little bit, you're kind of missing out on how the, how heightened a story can become. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) If you were like, I had, I had a bag of groceries and they just sort of plopped to the ground. Mm -hmm. It's so different. Yeah. Yeah. And a subway car full of all your whole foods. Like, and yeah. it, 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 I don't know how it happened, but it doesn't matter. Right, yeah. right, right. So, so the whole point is, fucking lie. <laughs> yeah, lie, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, or think of it as, what do you have to do to tell the biggest truth or the most resonant truth? You know, and it's there's facts and then there's truth. All right, cool, uh, awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. We're this so glad to be here, man. This great. is really yeah. fun. I really love that people are going to nerd out with me about this. Oh yeah, and like I feel like I've come up with this whole like, like. Doctor Strange book of spells for how to tell a story, but all of it goes out the window the second you just get up and start doing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like yeah. just get up and do it and then do it again and again and again. And this is like, I do, I, I just started learning Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and it's kicking my ass. And, but I did Muay Thai for a number of years and it's, it's kind of your ass. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, basically this guy just tries to stuff my head up my own ass and I got to <laughs> not let him. And that's the workout. But, <laughs> but it's like when I used to do like Muay Thai, you learn combos, right? Jab, cross, kick, uppercut, whatever. And my coach was just like, yeah, you never land a whole combo in a fight, but you know, the combo and the better you get, you land more of the things in the combo mm. more often. 
So just always throw those five things in the row or like whatever they are for you. One day you'll land just the jab and the hook won't work, but the kick might. And then eventually you're going to get all five. So just do this. It ain't going to work every time, but just keep revisiting it Mm -hmm. and make it part of the repetitive cycle and it'll it'll get in there. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I mean, that's stand up in general. Uh If you have it loaded up, if you have it like uh, pounded into your brain um, enough then the chances of you landing those punchlines and mm-hmm. making sure you communicate the emotions that you want are going to be that much higher. Mm-hmm. If you're, uh, if you do what all of us have done and you get up there and you're trying to remember it as you go, mm-hmm. as opposed to having the muscle memory in there, right. it's just not, it's not going to be as effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of, and we, and it's just, it's, um, I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to say now, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I'm just saying, make this, re- this story structure, be something you refer back to and then you'll, it'll just become a reflex. Mm-hmm. And that's all it is, is to get you to where you are doing this reflexively or where you can look back on your stuff. Cause I can guarantee you, if you have stories that aren't working and you go back and really look at this, something's going to be out of tune and just bring it into tune. Yeah. It's like, a, it's a toolbox to fix your story Yeah, as opposed to <laughs> starting point. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, Please thank wait. you so much for having me. This of super course, fun. man. Yeah. Thanks a lot for coming on. Sets.